0: Only from Rustolium.
1: Hello and welcome to Changes. It's Annie McManus here. If you want to talk about change, how about going from complete obscurity to being one of the most famous people on the planet? Pretty much overnight. That is exactly what happened to Melanie Chisholm when she was just 22 years old. Melanie Chisholm otherwise known as Mel C, otherwise, otherwise known as Sporty Spice. Yes, Melanie is one of the five women who together, as the Spice Girls, kind of articulated all of the spirit and energy of pop music in the 90s and had this incredible impact on culture around the world. But the reason I called her by her given name, Melanie Chisholm, is because in reading about her life, it struck me that she's kind of been flitting between these very public identities for pretty much her entire adult life, And I wanted to know what effect that has had on Melanie, not the pop star, but the person. We're talking about fame and success of a really quite hard to fathom level. With the Spice Girls, she sold something insane like 50 million albums worldwide and another 23 million as a solo artist. So, with that level of success, there comes a lot of attention, not all of it welcome. And in talking to Melanie, it was really clear to see how much of an impact the tabloid media had on her when she was still quite a young woman. But despite all that, she's managed to grow and thrive through an unbelievable amount of upheaval and change. And she's found her way back to the Spice Girls, this almost mythical and magical entity that created her fame in a much happier and healthier place. You're going to hear Mel talk about that Spice Girls reunion tour in 2019 in just a bit. But I wanted to start before the Spice Girls, before Sporty Spice, before Mel C, with the change that defined her childhood and so much afterwards. Enter the podcast, Melanie C.
0: Well, the biggest change in my childhood is one that I don't have a huge memory of, really. My parents divorced, I think I was probably about three years old, and although I don't have much of a memory of it, it's obviously affected me so much, and I think anybody who's had that happen to them, you realise as you get older how it's shaped you and and moulded you, and I think a lot of you know, my personality traits have come from that big change very early on in my life. And it's it's so odd because it was the 70s. And growing up through the 70s and the 80s, a lot of my friends' parents were together. And I was the odd one out, really. And I know, sadly, today, it's different. I think you're probably more of an odd one out if your parents are still together, you know. And... I felt that just moulded me in a way that I kind of felt like I had to be independent from a very young age, you know, and it made me very determined to succeed and I felt like I needed to find my own place in the world because just certain events through my childhood made me a little bit unsure about how I fitted in and whether me being here on this planet was a burden to people.
1: Right. So the circumstances of the divorce, where did you end up living as a child?
0: I have always lived with my mum. Right. but always, I have a great relationship with both my mum and my dad and you know when I look back to my childhood it was really happy yeah. you know I think when you're a kid all you know is what you know isn't it and um, yeah I have this huge family now it's so complicated half brothers step brothers. you know a half sister and it's so wonderful you know there's so much love but I think as a child I kind of felt like I was moving around sure. quite a lot and, and it's so weird like in my adult life I continue because of my Work to move around quite a lot, and I never have felt like I've laid roots. And so, you lived with your mum, and your mum was into singing, right? And still sings. Yeah, so my mum started singing when she was about 14. I mean, my mum's life is really interesting, and she always talks about writing a book, and she really should. So, her parents were very strict, especially my granddad, and she was the only girl, she had two brothers. And she was really into music and no one else in the family before had had been that that way, you know? And she was out at 14, playing with bands, like rehearsing in like sheds and stuff. And, and my granddad used to go nuts and he'd like go and collect her. And the stories of him like going out on his bike to find her and then like dragging her home while he's riding her bike. But she would, you know, was never deterred because it's her passion, you know. And even now, you know, my mum, she wouldn't mind me saying, she's 72. And when the opportunity comes up, like every opportunity, she's up there on the mic. And she's amazing. She's a huge inspiration to me. And she's had a lot of adversity, you know, in many aspects of her life. But with the music, she just she just carries on. Nothing's going to stop her.
1: Yeah. And do you you think she was an influence in, in you? wanting
0: to be on stage. Yeah, funnily enough, you know, I didn't really think about it when I was a kid because I was always, you know, getting... I was either... At home, you know, it was like my home memories of the weekends were like, we lived in this little terraced house up in Widness, which is in the Northwest, right, slap banging between Liverpool and Manchester. And she'd be out gigging every weekend. And my stepdad's a bass player. And they used to keep all the gear under like, you know, all the amps and everything mm. under the stairs. And it used to get carried through the living room to get out to the car, to go out on the gigs. And we just like me and my brother would just be peering over them, trying to watch Dukes of Hazards or the <laughs> A-Team or whatever was <laughs> on at the time. And you know there was always people rehearsing in the house and it would you'd be upstairs'd be upstairs in the bunk beds and like they'd be like you could hear the bassline through the floorboards and wow. it was just like at the time it was just the way it was, but then you grow up and you go, wow, that was a real privilege yeah. to kind of just be around that and and have that it just feels so natural like when I got to the the point with the spice girls where we went on tour and I was with musicians and we were on stage and we were sound checking it. It just felt very natural to me. Mm. Um And then I thought, wow, you know, I was so lucky to have that. But then going to gigs as well and watching her, like sitting there. And, you yeah, know, it was working men's clubs and, you know, different functions and stuff. And my mum was so different to everybody else's mum. She was quite glamorous you know she'd put on her stage outfits and she'd get all ready to be on stage and my mum when she's on stage as well you know she's very confident and she can hold her own and a lot of the venues she was playing they were tough you know they were tough audiences and she'd give as good as she got sometimes and you know I was so proud of her and, and really looked up to her and yeah, I, I didn't really think about it. I kind of followed my own path, but that must have inspired me, you know, looking back and thinking about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you left home and you went to London and, and you went to kind of, you know, was it a kind of performing arts school kind of thing? Yeah. So I, I think I never really credited my mum
0: with, you know, kind of inspiring me to, to take that journey to be a performer because I never had a lot of confidence in my singing voice. I knew I loved to sing, but I dancing was my thing I've always been really physical I did lots of gymnastics and sports at school Of course <laughs> and, and, and loads of dancing So that was the thing I was like, well, you know, I can sing a bit I'd love to be, you know I'd love to work in the music industry But my mum had had deals Both my mum and my stepdad Had been signed in, like in the late 60s, early 70s And obviously, you know Things hadn't worked out for them The way they would have liked So I knew it was a really tough industry to get into So I thought, well It'd be a lovely thing to do but you know, it's really hard. So because I loved dancing as well and I loved theatre and and you know, I've did a lot of classical training as well as a kid, I did a lot of ballet. So for me, the, the most sensible route to being a performer seemed to be musical theatre. And I went away to perform an arts college, yo, and I was sixteen. Sixteen, wow. which is like so young but the thing is it's a profession where you have to be young especially the dancing side mm, of things mm. you know you can't waste any time you you have to get out there and get on with it so um yeah I was following my dreams and I got a fantastic place in a college in Sidcup which is in Kent just outside London mm. and did a three-year course
1: and um, that was my first steps to becoming a professional performer. So let's move on to the biggest change then as an adult, which is yes. undeniable. <laughs> when you look at your life, it can only be one. Tell us what it is, please. Okay.
0: So I, I completed my three years at Performing Arts College. And I was going out and auditioning for West End shows and different things. And, you know, not really getting anywhere, starting to get a little bit frustrated. And I was at a place called Danceworks on Balderton Street. And someone hands me a flyer. And the flyer says, Are you between the ages of 18 and 24? Can you sing, dance? Are you outgoing? It's an audition for a girl band. So I turn around to my mate and go, That's it. That is what I'm going to do. So I went along to the audition. And I sang, I danced, we danced to Eternal, Stay, and then we, yes. we all had to, yeah, we, the people who got recalled, we went to sing, and I had the sheet music too, I'm so excited, Pointer Sisters, because it was something my mum did, yeah. and I sang that, it was one of the, the reasons, because you needed sheet music, I had the sheet music for nothing, yeah. um, so nicked my mum's sheet music, sang that, got another recall, and then I was sick. So I couldn't make the recall and begged my mum to get in touch and say, look, please, Melanie, really wants you know, the opportunity to see you guys again, but she's... on. Un- I had tonsillitis, so I couldn't even speak, right. let alone yeah. sing. And they were like, no, sorry, we've we've chosen the girls now, you know, it wasn't meant to be. So I was like, oh, well, hey-ho, when you're a performer, you get used to, mm. to, to getting let down, you know? And a couple of weeks later, I got a call... And they said, oh, look, one of these girls hasn't worked out. Could Melanie come down and sing for us again? And I went down to a studio. I think it might have been Gnomus in Hammersmith, which I don't know if it's there anymore. And I met Jerry Halliwell, Melanie Brown, mm-hmm. Victoria Adams at the <laughs> time, and a girl called Michelle. And I sang for them. I sang Sign Seal, Delivered, Stevie Wonder. And that was it. I was in the band. Wow. And with a few twists and turns... We became the Spice Girls, you know, once Emma came on board, that's when things really changed. And um, yeah, I mean, it it felt like an eternity. You know, when you're young, things feel like it's forever. But I left college in 1993 and the Spice Girls, I met the other girls in 1994. So it wasn't that long. It wasn't that long. And I think we were with our first management for under a year and so frustrated with them because we just wanted to get out there. We wanted to do Mm. stuff and we left them within a year. And then we were in the studio, we were making the first album Spice. We met Salmon Fuller, we signed to Virgin Records, wannabe dropped and then boom, boom. (laughs) (laughs) everything changed. Yeah, that was yeah a change that nothing can prepare you for as well.
1: I mean, like in terms of extremities of fame, you know, even looking back now, you know, so many years later, decades later, I can't see something, a success story that happened so quick and took over the world and took over culture in the way Spice Girls did. And you were part of that. And like, it was literally a fairy tale from the outside. It looked like it was the most fun, the most excitement, you know, literally a dream coming true in front of our eyes it completely was and we were flying and
0: yeah from the minute it was from the minute emma became part of the band you know so what did emma bring you know we we were working together and you know and there's always a bit of tension there's always frustrations and and different things going on but when emma became part of the band it was like something clicked and there was this energy and it's like in my tired state as well, I kind of feel quite emotional, like thinking about it and talking about it and, you know, the old goosebumps come up because even now, if we're all in a room together, there's it, there's a spark, you know, there's, there's just something that happens and there's so much about the Spice Girls which you cannot explain, you know what I mean? There's like, there's so much, we were lucky, you know, all the stars aligned, all these great things happened But there's something unexplainable about the five of us that it's just magical. And I mean, you know, along with that, it's hard, you know, because like with any dynamic like that, there is is friction. So we just had this thing and we knew it was special. We just knew it. And we were so single minded and... We all wanted the same thing. I think that was a problem with with the girl that didn't, you know, make the final five that went on to become the Spice Girls. Because it's so funny. People always go, oh, the Spice Girl that didn't make it or the girl who was in the Spice Girls before. And it's like, nah, it wasn't the Spice Girls then. You know, we, we were called something else. And then Emma came along. And then that's when the Spice Girls began. And... Yeah, it was just something which is is so difficult to to put your finger on and whether it was the individuality. And I, I think, for me, the biggest thing about the Spice Girls is we are so different, obviously, our personalities, you know, the way we present ourselves. But because we had this shared vision, it just gave us this strength and this power. And it was, you know, for all of my self-doubt or, you know, all of my fears, the kind of, the belief that everybody else had, we had in each other and in what we are together, it just, like, catapulted us into making people believe that we were going to be the biggest band in the world and we were going to make a movie and that was going to be a huge success. And and it was like everything we touched turned to go. And it was like, we still laugh about it now because we're like, you know, we are. We're just so... Average in so many ways, do you know what I mean? We're not special, but we were able to create something really special that so many people could identify with. And, you know, it just spoke out to so many people. And I think I always refer back to being on stage in 2019 because, and this is where I get emotional again, because it was the moment everything just kind of, it just I began to to see it, you know, and understand it and accept it. And we have affected a generation of people. And, you know, and it's funny because, you know, none of us, like, individually, none of us go, I did that. You know, because we know we didn't. But we know collectively we did. And we almost feel like the Spice Girls isn't five people. It's like every single fan around the world. Mm -hmm. It's everybody that it becomes... Because those shows it was so important for it to become inclusive, you know, that everybody felt a part of it. And that's truly what the Spice Girls is. You know, it's every single fan, every single person who's ever, you know, Mm. sang wannabe dressed up as the Spice Girls on Halloween. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that is,
1: that's the power of it. Mm. It's kind of an alchemy, isn't it? And you talk about the fact that you, you, you weren't special, but I think that is why you were special in that, you were so relatable you were so human yes. in every way yes. everyone could see themselves in one of you i'm interested in the sporty spice thing by the way did you feel like sporty spice was that an accurate representation of you at the time like you know or did you feel conflicted with that at the time
0: do you know what i've I've always loved being sporty it has i've never felt uncomfortable with it but I, you know it was just a silly little thing in Top of the Pops magazine. Peter Lorraine was editor at the time, and they had silly nicknames for a lot of artists then. I think Britney Spears was Broccoli Spears, and Natalie and was Natalie Umbrella Stand, and the Spice
1: Girls. But you're stuck. You're really stuck stuck because you decided to. I think you guys didn't. You you go. You you went with them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I think
0: it was really fun because we quite quickly became caricatures of of who we were, you know. And I think everybody, I mean, now we we completely embrace our nicknames. Yeah. And yeah, it's so funny because people do often ask me about, you know, being Sporty Spice. Was that a pressure? Did you want to be another Spice name? You know, and I'm like, no, do you know what? I've always been cool with it. And I think because our names were kind of given to us whether it was how we looked or, you know, part of our personality. And I always laugh when I say that because I think of Moby is truly scary. If anyone's met her, <laughs> you will know. <laughs> okay. I don't know if, I don't know if Jerry's really ginger, but you know, she yeah. owned it. Yeah. Um, but um, no, I've always loved being sporty and I, you know, growing up where I did in the northwest all the kids, and even now, I mean, more so now, everybody wears sports clothes, Mm. you know, everyone was in a trackie, everyone was in trainers. So that was just the way that I dressed. And also, you know, we'd come through kind of the rave years as well. So I I didn't own any smart clothes. It was like trackies and and feeler boots all the way. So, um, yeah, I was really comfortable with that. And I was into my sport, you know, grew up loving my footy and it's a big part of growing up in Liverpool. So, yeah, it felt quite natural to me.
1: I was watching a, a kind of Spice Girl special a while ago on the telly. And one thing that really struck me about kind of watching all of your performances and videos in close succession is just how clothed you were. As a band compared to, pop star- compared to pop stars now. It's like you you were able to wear full clothes and, and that but was okay. the funny thing is,
0: the funny thing is, we were criticised at the time. Do you remember? Because young girls wanted crop tops right. because we wore crop tops. We, we got a lot of flack. Wow. Um, so
1: how things change, how right? things have
0: changed, man.
1: <laughs> so, so going back to that time then, you're everywhere and you have these names, which... When you talk about it and when I think about it, and you can correct me, please, was there a kind of a relief to having a kind of alter ego as such, kind of being able to kind of put all of the fame and all of the attention into a sporty spice and then you still be Melanie Chisholm underneath it?
0: Yeah, I think it was a really confusing time, actually. Because I was, when Wannabe came out, I was 22. And for me, you know, I think kids are kind of a lot more grown up now. You know, when I think back to like being in my 20s, I just feel like I I didn't know what was going on. Um, And I I was really confused. And I think, you know, what happened to us was so incredible and it was a fairy tale. But, you know, when you're a kid growing up and you aspire to be famous and for everybody to know you and to do all of the the traveling and signing the autographs and all of those things you, all you think about is positive things you know you, you never think of like the negative and like everything in life of course there's a negative to these things and so when you get there and you realise some of it's actually really difficult to deal with and to get your head around. And there are certain life changes which you don't want to make. You know, you don't want to be pursued. You don't want to be continually paranoid that you're being followed or people are listening to you. And, you know, which many years later, we went on to find out that people were listening to us. Um, You know, it was, it's intense. And within that, I was, you know, I was struggling to figure out who I was, who I wanted to be, who other people wanted me to be, whether I should be that person or... It's so confusing. I think for me, it was the tabloid media at the time, you know, not that they're much better these days, but in the 90s, because I recently have gone back and looked at articles from that time and the language they use and the things that they wrote about us and, and lots of people in the public eye are disgusting and when I've had the opportunity to go back and look at these things and now with the knowledge knowing that a lot of this very personal information was put out there through illegal means whether it was you know phone hacking and, and all of the different things that that have been done I have so much like sympathy for my younger self and in a way it's been quite liberating because. I did have a hard time, you know, I struggled, I've had, I've spoken quite openly about, you know, mental health issues and eating disorders and now I realise, wow, you know, I don't want to blame anybody, I take full responsibility, I was, I was an adult but I think looking back at how the media treated us, they had a huge part to play in my problems, you know, I, I just think as a young person, how can anybody Survive that, you know, and I, I am a very sensitive person, and I, you know, like everyone, I have my insecurities, and I think, like a lot of creative people, we are very insecure, you know we can be very bold and courageous and go out on stage, but you know we we can also be be very delicate so it's been you know it's been interesting to be able to go back because I think I probably beat myself up for a long time that I did have those problems that I had weakness you know that I wasn't able to to battle through those things but now I know I wasn't on an even playing field I'm like okay I forgive myself
1: yeah. you know
0: I forgive the younger me for yeah. you know
1: for those things I mean I think fame I've never come across anyone who has gone through fame in such an extreme way and been able to you know, you I feel like you have stayed so strong and grounded throughout. Like you're still so your personalities are unaffected by it. Your ego has been kept in check. You know, you you've stayed yourself, which must be incredibly hard to do. Yeah, do you know
0: and it's funny because, you know, as we get older we realise that this this is life. But you know, with everything, when we first got together, you know, we are very different. And that sometimes that causes issues, you know, there was there was a lot of pressure from the outside but there was a lot of pressure on the inside as well so we the great thing about being in a band and having success like that is you have each other and there's no one else in the world who knows what it's like because no one else is going through it the way that the five of us did you know so we have this bond but also because we knew we had something so special and it was it was so important to all of us we didn't you know we didn't want to mess it up and that made us put a lot of pressure on each other to not fuck up, you know, and, and everyone makes mistakes. So there was a lot of, that was hard, you felt under a lot of pressure, but on the, the other side of that, we didn't allow anybody to get above their station. You know, we were we, we policed each other, not only in, in our behaviour, um, but just in, you know, getting out of control. And I, and I think that has been a saving grace. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I think most of us have had our moments, you know, there's been ups and downs through the years. But I think, you know, fundamentally, we can just, you know, tell each other to stop being a dickhead. And we will because we probably know each other better than anyone else on the planet, going through what we did.
1: How was it, you know when the Spice Girls ended and you found yourself as a solo artist and all of those things you've just talked about, that support structure, that policing, that kind of being able to share the madness. How was it being on your own? It was amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought you, you were going to be like, oh, it's really hard. <laughs> You're like, no. no, not at all. And I think, you know, there are so many bands that have this moment, don't they, because... Being in a band is intense, you know. And what happened to the Spice Girls? I mean, what blows my mind is everything we did, you know, the real Spice Girls, like the the moment, the moment in time was less than two years.
1: Yeah,
0: You know, wannabe came out in July 96. Jerry was gone by, I think, the spring 98. Do you know what I mean? It's less than two years. So we did all of that which I just, it's just impossible for me to fathom how we managed to do that. But within that time, you know, we were travelling constantly, we were working constantly, we were exhausted, we were living on adrenaline. And we toured, we toured Europe, we toured the US for three months without Jerry. And on that tour, Victoria became pregnant and Melanie. So we knew there was going to be a natural break. And, I, you know, for different reasons, I wasn't ready to stop. You know, a lot of it I think I was running away from dealing with my own issues at the time. But I was really keen to get in the studio, work on some solo material, and it was so liberating. You know, I think after being in a band and like you say, having this identity and being part of something and you get to this point where you're like, you know what? I need to explore who I am. You know, I need to express myself as an individual. And with the girls you know of course there were frustrations because how our differences are beautiful at times they can be really frustrating and irritating you know and you think oh I want to do it my way I don't want to compromise and that was the opportunity I had to do that and it was magic and I went off to LA which is just one of my favorite places on earth Madonna's ray of light I think, is my favourite Madonna album. And I worked with a lot of the people, Craig Armstrong, um, Marius de Vries, a lot of the people who'd worked on that record with her came and worked on my first solo record. And so, it, it, you know, it was just a dream
1: scenario for me. And I was ready. And that album went on to sell 4 million copies, guys. Just FYI, important fact. Now, let's talk about, you mentioned, um, you know, the bandmates becoming pregnant. Let's talk about motherhood for you and, and how that changed you. So... I always wanted to be a mum, okay. you know,
0: but it was it was on the back burner because my career has always taken priority and I was at a point in my career and, you know, with my partner that it was time, wasn't getting any younger and <laughs> the wonderful thing that I, you know, my first experience of motherhood is I think as a woman, the minute you become pregnant, you are a mother, you know, and I, and I think for guys they have they become a dad you know the child is born they get to know them but as a mum you know straight away you can't drink anymore you know you can't smoke if you're a smoker you know there's certain things you can't eat you are responsible you know from day one and I knew it was going to change me but I I didn't know it was going to change me as much as it did I just became stronger I think, you know, she inspires me. I mean, she's given me hell at the moment because she's 12 (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so she should. But yeah, from the moment I was pregnant, I just felt this strength. And because in my career, everything had been about me, to actually now have something more important, it was really liberating, you know, to take the pressure away from everything being about me. You know, I had somebody else to think about, and I became much kinder to myself, much kinder to my body. You know, my eating was much better because I was responsible. You know, I was growing this human being. I had to eat properly. And yeah, I just, I have so much to thank her for,
1: actually. I think she's made me a better person. She's healed me, you know, in so many ways. Yeah, it's it's so profound, isn't it, how your body changes? I, I remember just having this whole new kind of, Respect for my body and also a little fear, a little like, whoa, you are this machine that's just going to carry on with this, whether I like it or not. And all these Mm -hmm. things are happening, changing that I don't even, I can't even foresee and just, just this, this, this kind of awe, like, whoa. Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, did you have
0: this thing, right? And this really mm. makes me chuckle when I look back at our photos, because like when I was, say, I don't know, five weeks pregnant, I've got all these pictures of me, like, you know, proudly <laughs> like and showing this bump, which is non-existent. Yeah. And I just, I thought, oh, look, I'm showing I'm pregnant. It's wonderful. And then at the end, I was massive, yeah. right? Massive. <laughs> Everything was massive. I think the healthy scale of how much work you can I was like right at the top of it and there's all these pictures of me and I thought I look pretty good but I was shoot I was a whale <laughs> so I don't know whatever this psychology is going on in your mind but yeah I was the same I was like I am amazing I think it was the first time in my life I truly believed I am
1: amazing yeah you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, Because it's totally. like, I did yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: it's so good.
1: Yeah. And now in your answers to the change questions, in one of the answers you said about the idea of history repeating itself. And I wanted to ask you what you meant by that with regards to, to this. So this was another,
0: you know, big change for me. And I touched on it earlier a little bit in that I never wanted for my child what had happened
1: to me. And by that, you mean parental separation? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So it always feels weird, you know, talking about it negatively because, you know, I'm an adult. I understand adult relationships now. But, you know, my mum and dad divorcing, it did affect me. And and, and some of it, I think, has has made me quite vulnerable, you know, Mm. in certain areas of my life. And I always wanted, I think all kids, you want your mum and dad to be together. You know, that's that's all you want. When you blow out your candles every year, that's the wish that you make. I want mum and dad to be together. So I never wanted that for my little girl. Um, I never want, wanted that to happen to her, that she was being ferried from mum's dad's, sharing Christmas, you know, all these things. But, you know, unfortunately that did happen in my relationship. And I'd been with my daughter's dad I think for 10 years and Scarlett was only funnily enough a similar age to me two and a half, three years old when we split up and yeah it felt like you know coming to that decision to end the relationship because you know all of us as adults we've had relationships that haven't worked and you get to a point and you think this isn't working, you know, I'm not happy, you're not happy. And I think especially when there's a child involved, it's kind of, there is an old fashioned, you know, and maybe some people still feel this way, where you stay together for the kids, you know. And I and I know friends whose parents did that and they were like, I wish they didn't because it was miserable, you know, there was so much tension in the house, there was so much arguing in the house. And I just got to this point and I thought, you know what, it's better for all three of us for the, if this just changes, you know, this living situation changes. And, you know, it was a decision I had to make, but it was really, really hard. Cause I think you, I, I think, you know, as humans, we all do this thing where we, we think about our future, you know, it's kind of mapped out ahead of us, even if we don't consciously do it, you know, you think about all of those events, whether it's Christmases and holidays and, and all these things you plan to do together as a family. And you kind of, I found when I, split up with with my ex and it's like you have to mourn this life that will never be you know and it was yeah it was really really tough and I think the guilt as well because it's just not what I wanted it's not what I wanted to happen but it's something I had to do so yeah that was that was a tough time a tough tough time
1: and how did you find um post split kind of being a single mammy
0: do you know what
1: bet you were shit hard at it
0: I loved it. They I absolutely well loved it. it. But yeah. you know what? Being being a single mum and having a daughter is intense. Right. I think that, you know, two two females... I mean, my daughter is a piece of work. She's fabulous. But she literally has got... I mean, girl power, like she could have invented it you know she has so much girl power she puts me to shame um but yeah so so we we do clash sometimes but we're incredibly close and I think a lot of that is because a lot of the time it has just been the two of us yeah your team
1: Yeah, yeah 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 and with regards to that that kind of idea of history repeating itself has it made you look back now at your childhood or at your own parents in a different way now that you've been through what they've been through
0: absolutely and I have so much respect for them because I never you know I I never knew about you know the frustrations they had about Mm. each other you know Mm. they were really good at keeping me away from that you know I I I didn't know there was tension you know I'd Spend time with my dad. I'd be living with my mum, and, and I'm sure they had issues. And now, you know, I find myself in that situation, and it's hard. You know, yeah. an ex partner, it's hard work. You know, mm. all these people say, "Oh, yeah, it's amicable." I'm like, really? Yeah. Um, you know, because it's hard. Because there's a reason why you split up. It's because you don't agree on stuff. You know, of course. <laughs> and raising a child's kind of the toughest thing to agree on things. Mm. So um, yeah, I I do.
1: I have a lot of respect for them. Yeah. Melanie, what is the change you would still like to make?
0: Okay. So you know what? I, I've I've done a lot of work over the years. You know, I, I've I've really tried to kind of to work on those vulnerabilities that I have because I found, you know, by nature I'm a people pleaser, and I think, you know. Quite possibly from my childhood, and yeah. you know, wanting to be accepted. You know, mum, dad, the situation. Both have new families. Where do I fit in? You know, I've got to be the perfect child. I've got to do. You know, I've got to be somebody. I've got to almost become worthy of my place on this planet. You mm. know, mm. Um, and that made me. You know, sometimes I've allowed people to walk all over me. I've not been as outspoken as I should be. So I still need to work on that, you know, and really just acknowledge that, you know, because sometimes, you know, when things don't go your way or there's things you wish you'd done differently and you feel like you're weak and you know what? I'm bloody strong. You know what? I've been through a lot. I have overcome so many issues in my life, you know, and I've and I carry on. So it's really acknowledging that and moving forward. So that that for me. And then I think just you know, some of the work, you know, which I think from the Spice Girl something that was a wonderful opportunity to have. You know, we came out shouting about girl power, and then quite quickly, we realized we had a huge following in their lgbtq plus community, and that has is something which has followed us as the spice girls, all of us in our solo careers, and it's just been such a wonderful opportunity getting to know people from the community. I worked with Sink the Pink in 2019. Yes. We went out. I did a world tour of Pride events. And yeah. I went out with my five drag queens from Sink the Pink. And I've never worked so closely with drag queens and non-binary people. And yeah. it was such an education to me. And this is, and I, I've, I've spoken about this many times and I always well up when I think and talk about it because the Spice Girls, you know, I, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard about young people growing up, um, whatever their situation, but how the Spice Girls gave them the courage and the strength to be who they were, to be who they truly wanted to be, and then you know working with people in the Pride community, I was like, wow, it's it's this inclusivity, and they've given me so much strength and really allowed me to fully accept myself which sounds ridiculous. Like whenever I'm on stage, you know, with Sink the Pink, I'll say, you know, here I am, a straight white woman. <laughs> you yeah, know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like, I'm, you know, and these wonderful people and these wonderful audiences have helped me accept who I am and just be who I am. Yeah. And it's okay. You yeah. know, everything is okay. So talking about changes, this is something which I have experienced over the years I've seen pride events grow. And the most yes. wonderful thing I saw, I was in Brighton in 2019, and I saw so many kids. So many young people, you know, dressed up, pride flags. That's what's changed for me. It's become, mm-hmm. I remember my first pride event was in New York in 1998 and I took my nan. <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was pretty intense, right? And <laughs> she didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. But it was really, really fun. But it was very adult, you know, yeah. and it kind of felt like it, it wasn't a place where you would see many young people children you know Mm. but now there's this inclusivity where there's so much more acceptance and of course there's so much more to be done on that front but Mm. that's the change I want to see I want to see that acceptance and the normalizing of the whole you know the community every aspect in every part of that community
1: and listen I want to talk to you about this you know this moment where you came back as a Spice Girls in 2019 and we touched on it at the start but to me it feels like That's a real come full circle moment. Obviously you had your reunions, you did the Olympics in 2012, you did 2007 tour as well, but but 2019 was a world, it was an arena tour around the world with the band. And this is you in your forties, fully grown, having done the work, having to step back in to those sporty spice shoes. How was that process for you? And was there trepidation involved? So when we went back in 20,
0: you know, 2007, yeah, I was in a funny old place. I don't know if I was ready to right. do it. You right. know, it's all a bit of a blur, And I don't think us girls were in a great place, you know, between ourselves. You know, we had a great time. We had a lot of fun, but we weren't really that close at that point. Okay. So it all just felt a little bit fractured and not quite it. Yeah. You know, it didn't, yeah. it didn't feel 100% right. And then I I don't know why. I just, I think there was kind of like, because we do get people often, you know, approaching us and saying, you know, oh my gosh, you know, you changed my life. I'm so grateful to you girls. And, you know, when I was growing up and and this, and it it just seemed like this snowball that there was more and more people telling me these incredible stories where the Spice Girls had really helped them through difficulties or Mm. given them confidence. And there was this shift in me. And then an offer came through to do one show. And I think Jerry and I were talking and I was like, look, if you're going to do one show, you may as well do a, at all. So then it just the conversation just opened up and I was just up for it. And I and I was like, yeah, I just championed it and I said, come on girls, it's time, let's do it. And I, I you know, it's so weird now when you look back because those stadium shows in 2019 were like nothing I've ever experienced on stage or as a gig goer. It was like the stadiums felt intimate. Mm. It was just perfect. But for me on that tour, I suppose I just got to a point in my life, you know, other changes. You know, I made some big changes. I've been with my management for about 18 years and, and things were were not starting to, to go the way I wanted them to. And so I changed everything. I changed, you know, my management, my, my band, my... Um, you know, all the people around me that I worked with, like, kind of, because I hate change. I mean, it petrifies me and I'm very loyal. But right. once I started, like, you couldn't stop me. I was getting rid of everyone. <laughs> I like this. It's really good. And, um, yeah, it re- revitalised me. It refreshed everything. And I, I made the album, my self-titled album that came out in 2020. And being on stage with the Spice Girls was really inspired, that album, because... It was the first moment I realised that I don't go off and be a solo artist and be Melanie C and then, you know, completely change who I am and and get on stage and be a Spice Girl. I realised I'm all of those things all of the time, you know, and that's okay. You know, I kind of felt like because I think we just pigeonhole people, don't we? It's like, well, I think it's quite a British thing as well. We go. Oh, you can only it's do It's
1: easy. It's easy for people. It's a bit lazy. Yeah. It just makes it
0: yeah. easy. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, that, that's what you are. Don't don't complicate matters. But I was like, no. You know what? I'm a mum. I'm a girlfriend. I'm a mate. I'm a spice girl, I'm a solo artist, I'm Evan. Sometimes I'm on the telly, sometimes I'm on the radio. I do all these things and it's, that's all me, it's all within me. And it was just about that self acceptance of all the parts of you. And I just had that moment on stage when I looked out and I was like, because I was scared about becoming Sporty Spice. I was like, oh my God, can I still jump around like a nutter and sing yeah. wannabe when I'm like 40, how old is I, 46? Mm. But it just happens because mm. it's there, you know, mm. it never mm. goes away. Mm.
1: The first song of your latest album that you talked about, Melanie C, is called Who I Am. And there's a line in it that says, there's been so many changes and I accept that they're part of me. And mm-hmm. it feels like so full circle, doesn't it? Putting that out it's after the tour, yeah. Um, yeah. owning all of the identities that have been kind of thrust upon you. Like the Sporty spicing, thing, owning it. And there's just a lovely, a lovely idea of like just peace, finding peace with everything at this point
0: yeah it is it does feel that way and what a relief i mean yeah it's exhausting you know <laughs> always like searching and we're we're always searching aren't we and we're always trying to like better ourselves you know in every way i think it's mm. it's quite a female thing as well mm. and it's like you know what you really are good enough it's like look at your achievements mm. you know You have done the most incredible things, but we, you know, I think it's good to be ambitious and to continue to strive, but give yourself a break. You know what I mean? It's like, let's just give ourselves
1: a little pat on the back because we've done amazing. Thank you so much to Melanie C. She has done the amazing and it was such a pleasure spending some time speaking about her journey. As ever, like, subscribe, leave a review, do your thing, let me know what you think. Find me on IG at Annie McManus. And next week, you are going to be meeting a very charming and very inspiring lady called Kerry. Until then, take care. This episode was produced by Frank Palmer for DIN Productions.